Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Monster Religions Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner, and this week is the state of Illinois. First, begin with a little history of Illinois. It's from history.com. The first European to visit Illinois were the French explorers, Louis uh, Juliet and Jacques Marquette in 1673 but the region was ceded to Britain after the French and Indian War. After the American Revolution, Illinois became a territory of the United States and achieved statehood in 1818. Located on Lake Michigan and connected to the eastern ports via the Erie Canal, Chicago became a booming metropolis and even the fire of 1871 could not stunt its growth. In the second hall, the second half of the 19th century, the great need for workers in the mills, rail yards, and slaughterhouses made Chicago a popular destination for immigrants and freed blacks. During Prohibition, Chicago became synonymous with bootleg liquor and gangsters like Al Capone. Chicago became a state on December 3, 1818. The capital of Chicago is Springfield. There are currently uh, according to a 2010 census, 12,830,632 people live in Illinois. The size of Illinois is 57,916 square miles. The nicknames for Illinois is the Prairie State and Land of Lincoln. The state motto for Illinois is State Sovereignty National Union. The state tree is the White Oak. The state flower is the violet, and the state bird is the cardinal. In 1858, incumbent Democratic Senator Stephen A. Douglas and Abraham Lincoln, for the most part unfamiliar at the time, engaged in a series of debates throughout Illinois for state's Senate seat. Although Lincoln lost the race, his warning against a nation divided between free and slave-holding states drew in the attention of the nation and he was elected president only two years later. What began as an ordinary fire in Patrick and Catherine O'Leary Barn on October 8, 1871, quickly turned into what became known as the Great Chicago Fire, which dared to set roughly 18,000 18, buildings, left close to 100,000 inhabitants homeless, and killed between 200 and 300 people. On May 4, 1886, After weeks of protests in which workers were demanding an eight-hour workday, a bomb was thrown during a demonstration at the Randolph Street Haymaker Haymarket. Uh, eight officers were killed and 60 were injured. 
for a public cry for justice. Although the bomber was never identified, uh, eight anarchists were tried and convicted of murder in what is often referred to as a grave miscarriage of justice. The World's Columbian Exposition of 1893 in Chicago attracted 27 million visitors during its six-month operation, more than 40% of the United States' total population at the time. Among the many inventions exhibited there was the first Ferris wheel built to rival the Eiffel Tower that had been built for the Paris Fair in 1889. The 200-foot diameter wheel carried 36 cars with, with up to 60 riders each. When an angry mob formed outside of the city jail in Springfield on August 14, 1908, seeking revenge against two black men accused of separate crimes against whites, policemen escorted the prisoners out the back to the safety in the violent riot that ensued. Buildings were destroyed and looted, and two unrelated black members of the community were lynched. The appalling event led to the formation of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, the NA. A NAACP uh, a few months later. Illinois has the largest recoverable bituminous coral, coal reserve any state in the United States, close to 1.1 billion tons. Chicago's Willis Tower, formerly named Sears Tower, is the largest building in North America. Okay. Oh, so it's January, and and what's going on? It's been working. Another year, another year of uh, getting production up at work. Trying to get work on that. Uh, I haven't done much of those. Watching, uh, listening to some like the G One Game Days podcast this past week is pretty strange. It's good hearing my friends there what they're playing and stuff. So it's like we're in that the two K twenty WWE is all buggy and stuff. So I'm like, uh, hopefully it gets it fixed. I already got it fixed though. I looked it up. They like, fixed it. Oh, they made eighty. Still not working though. Oh. Else, uh, had a little trouble setting this uh foam up. Get falling down. I'm like I have it sitting on a chair. I'm getting some new glasses. Hopefully next week. It's, it's coming week. And uh, hopefully I get some guests coming on. I asked my friend to come on, but he's busy too. He's working too. And it uh takes a little bit, you know. Okay. Like this first monster here is the infield horror. Uh this is from like the oh wiki. Uh, alien, demon, or genetic mutation. 
the Anfield Horror encountered uh, encountered in Anfield, Illinois, is one of the absolute strangest creatures ever to be chronicled in cryptozoological lore. This bizarre string of events that would eventually stir the small Illinois town of Anfield to a frenzy of fear began on the chilly night of April 25, 1973, when a young boy named Greg Garrett claimed that he had been attacked by a truly bizarre beast while playing in his backyard. The child described the, the being as having no less than three legs, grayish, slimy skin, short claws, and reddish eyes. The creature apparently stamped on the boy's feet with its own three apparently clawed foot-like appendages, tearing his tennis shoes to shreds. Greg, crying hysterically, wasted no time scurrying away from the feed and back into the relative safety of his parents' house. Although young Greg's encounter was technically the first on record, the one that the one that brought this creature to notoriety came just a half hour later when the garrison neighbor, one Henry McDaniel, and his family had their own face-to-face -face encounter with this unbelievable entity. At about 9.30 in the evening, the McDaniels returned home to find two of their children, Henry Jr. and Lil... Was it? Lil? That's her name. Uh, in a terrified stupor. The children claimed that a young that a thing had tried to break into the house through the door and the window mounted air conditioner while their parents were gone. It was then that they had all heard a scratching sound at the front door. Assuming that it was some sort of stray animal, a skeptical Henry McDaniel covered, conveniently approached the door and yanked it open. What he saw before him would have shaken even the most courageous man to the core. There standing on the stoop was the same red-eyed monstrosity that had terrified his own children and assailed the Garrett child less than an hour before. McDaniel backed away from the entity in horror, slammed the door, stumbled to the nearby closet, and retrieved a flashlight and his 22 pistol. While his horrified family waited, Henry turned to the door with the conviction of a man dead set on defending his family and home, threw it back open, revealing that his First vision of the unbelievable beast had not been in had not been an hallucination. <clears throat> Later, McDaniel described the creature to the police. This is uh, his description. Uh, it had three legs on it, a short body, two little short arms coming out of its breast area, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half feet tall and was grayish colored. It was trying to get into the house. McDaniels opened fire on the creature, hitting it immediately, but instead of it falling to the ground wounded or dead, the horrible thing merely hissed like a wild cat at the frightening homeowner, homeowner Henry, who had fired four shots at the thing. Assured anyone who asked that his hand, he had missed, he had not missed his quarry. When I fired the first shot, I know I, had, I hit it. This was a quote from. I was a quote from. Him. Then, as unbelievable as it may seem, McDerry claimed. McDerry claimed that the surgical oddity that tore off 
into the night, covering an area of approximately 50 feet in a series of what of just three astonishing leaps. Before it disappeared into the brush along the L and N Railroad embankment in front of his house. McDaniels probably called the local authorities. When the Illinois State Troopers were who responded to the call right at the scene, the only evidence of the counter that remained were a series of scratches in the siding of the McDaniels home and dog like prints in the yard. What made the prints so unusual was the fact that they had six toe pads and even more intriguingly that they represented they represented a three footed animal with one track being slightly smaller than the others. If McDaniels believed that uh, believed that his encounters were the unknown or a thing of the past, he were he would soon realize that he was sadly mistaken. When on the eve of May six he was started startled awake at the, in the dead of the night by the howling of some neighborhood dogs. McDaniel pulled himself out of bed once again, claimed his firearm, and with what must have been great trepidation, opened his front door. This this time, the counter was the creature would not be so intimate. Claims he watched the thing at some distance, languidly neg- negotiating the trestles of the railroad tracks near his home. Here's another quote from him. I saw something moving out on the railroad track, and there it stood. I didn't shoot it. I didn't shoot at it or anything. It started on down the railroad track. It wasn't in a hurry or anything. End of quote. As it, uh, as it always the case with astounding events such as this, it was not long before the press got wind of the weirdness and came out in full force. But it wasn't until McDaniel's Second report that the media frenzy truly kicked into overdrive. White County Sheriff Roy Post R. Jr., who was so perturbed by the sudden re- influx of press and curiosity seekers, not to mention the alarm that was setting in on the locals, he threatened to incarcerate McDaniels if he didn't stop inciting panic by spreading his wildly terrifying tale. To make matters worse, well armed Posses of amateur monster hunters began patrolling the area near the LNN railroad track sightings. It was on such one such expedition that five young men allegedly had a run-in with a creature identical to the one that Garrett and Daniel encountered. With a notable addition being that they described the thing as being hairy. The men discovered the beast hiding in the underbrush and proceeded to open fire on it, but much like the in McDaniel's case, the bullets were unable to cause mortal injury, and the monster bolted off at a speed that the eyewitness surmised was greatly in excess of any that a human being could achieve. The final eyewitness to this improbable creature was Rick Rainbow, the news director of Rainbow Station WWK in Kokoma, Indiana and three other unnamed individuals claimed to have seen a great stooping five-foot-tall entity lurking outside an abandoned house not far from the Garrett and Daniel Holmes. Although they did not, care, did not have nearly as close, or that matter, as harrowing as the counter as the previous sets of witnesses, Rainbow and his crew did manage to do one thing the others had not, tape record the monster's disturbing scream. Well, 
to listen to that. It was not Dan that, Dan that noted cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman arrived on the scene to investigate the eyewitnesses' claims as well as sound recording. Coleman also heard the haunting cry of the creature while searching an area where eyewitnesses claimed to have seen the thing. I traveled to Anfield, interviewed the witnesses, looked at the siding, looked at the siding of the house the Anfield had damaged, heard some strange screeching banshee-like sounds, and walked away bewildered. In the July 1974 edition of Fate magazine, Lauren Kelman and Jerome Clark featured the Anfield horror in an article titled Swamp Slavs in Bay, Illinois. Coleman even chronicled discussing the intriguing case with famed paranormal investigator as well as best-selling author of the Mothman Prophecies, John A. Keel, in his book Mothman and Other, Cur other Curious Encounters. This reminds me of my exchange with Keel in 1973, when we were discussing the new reports of Illinois from Enville on April 25th, 1973, Mr. and Mrs. Henry McDaniel returned to their home and Henry had an encounter with a thing that looked like it had three legs, two pink eyes as big as flashlights, and short arms on a four and a half feet tall and grayish colored body along the LN railroad tracks in front of his house. Uh, years later, Coleman would contrast his infield investigation with another he conducted regarding a legendary creature that many assume was also from alien origin, a melon-headed monster known as the Dover Demon. The infield horror was my case investigation. It was much different than the Dover Demon, however. It was more like a combo phantom kangaroo, devil monkey, and swamp ape situation. Other investigators have suggested that the monster was associated with a spate of UFO sightings that allegedly plagued the region during the same period and those with a more supernatural bent have asserted that this beast with its tendencies to be aggressive towards human and try to break into their homes has all the earmarks of a classic demon attack. This would not be the first time that it had been suggested that there is apparent E.T. occult connection. While the phenomenon are not directly related, the primary witnesses in North Pole Devil case, Michael Rowley also claims that the creatures have been skulking around the houses he shares with his son in the West Florida community of Northport, as are of both extraterrestrial and demonic origin, making them, in effect, aliens from hell. It should also be noted that, that between the years of 1941 and 1942, in the sleepy village of Mount Buron, less than 40 miles away from Enfield, there was a smaller spate of encounters involving an anomalous leaping beast that terrorized the local populace and was reputedly responsible for numerous animal deaths in the region. Eyewitnesses claims that the Mount Vernon monster was vaguely baboon-like, hence the devil monkey analogy, and able to leap 20 to 40 feet in a single bound. If possible, it's possible that the end film horror, whatever it may be, is working a 30-year like, 30-year cycle on a 30-year cycle. Uh, while there are no reputable accounts of the creature coming from the 21st century, 
One cannot entirely count out the possibility that the thing is a long slumbering atomical oddity that rears its heads every so often to feed on animals and terrify locals. Or stranger yet, an E.T. that only stops by for a bite every so often when it's back in this neck of the galaxy. Whatever creature is or is not, has not been reported in almost 40 years. That, however, does not mean does not mean that it's not still lurking in the shadows of some old train yard, waiting to return to scratch on another door in the wee hours of the night. Okay, next monster. I can't find like there's so many like like a specific monster like sea serpent. This is the like Michigan sea serpent. I I can't really find nothing like on a specific one because you'll find out one. Okay, uh, Lake Michigan sea serpent. About half mile offshore, roughly one mile to Hyde Park. According to the 1893 Tribune story, officers at Fort Sheridan on the North Shore, now the Sheridan Reserve Center, were so shaken by local sea serpent sightings, they signed a pledge to let liquor alone. Chicago, however, signed no such pledge, and from the 1860s to 1930s, forests of a Lake Michigan serpent were frequent. I looked through my opera glasses, and I could see it. It was not like a boat, a licking park resident told this newspaper in 1899. Though unlike Pressy Lake Superior, Champ Lake Champlain, or Bessie Lake Erie, Lake Michigan's monsters never had a clear identity. Here's next. Uh, the mystical, the mystic child staring Thunderbirds of Illinois. This is from AtlasObscura.com. Was this by who wrote this? What was it say? Okay. Uh, the evening of July 25th, 1977, was just like any other hot summer evening for low family of Lonsdale, Illinois. Smell of sizzling beef and grilled vegetables permitted the air as adults kicked back on lawn chairs and the kids rustled on the family expansive yard outside. The following is Ruth Lowe's harrowing eyewitness account of a particularly frightening avian encounter as written by Jerry Deer Coleman of Cryptozoology.com. At approximately 8.10 p.m., the Lowe families were cleaning up after their all fresco dinner, kids still playing outside, and that's when it happened. Ruth, the matriarch of the Lowe's clan, was cleaning up in the kitchen where she couldn't see her children. She heard a piercing scream. And knew it was none other than her ten-year-old son, Marlon. What she ran outside to see what commotion, what the commotion was, she was stunned. Two massive birds flying in a tight wingtip to a wingtip formation were chasing her son, Marlon, peck, pecking and clawing at his shoulders. As Ruth saw, ran to Marlon's aid, the larger the two birds sunk their claws into his shirt. Fully lifting the 56-pound boy off the ground. 
but the birds were no match for a defenseless mother. Ruth kept attacking the bird and dropped her not terrified son to the ground after carrying him a distance of over 50, 35 feet. Dude, that's a long ways. It was scary. Damn. Shit. Damn it. Oh, God. There's freaking birds attacking me. That was some crap, dude. God. Outside playing. Oh, here comes a giant bird picking me up and carrying me nearly half the football field. Like 15 feet short of a football field. When the Lois went to the, fan, to the police, they were laughed out of the precinct. One of the cops allegedly said to Ruth, Offer Grufros of his fellow officers. Now let me get this straight. A giant bird attacked your nephew. In her statement to police, Ruth described the birds as such. It had a white ring around his half foot long neck. The rest of the, bo the body was very black. The bird's bill was six inches in length and hooked at the end. Claws on the feet were arranged with three front, one in the back. Each Wing less than less the body was four feet at the very least. The entire length of the bird's body from beak to tail feather was approximately four and one half feet. Obviously, as with any eyewitness account of cryptids, Ruth and Marlon's story was met with a healthy dose of skepticism and even ridicule. As the story was circulated around the local press, Marlon became known to his schoolmates as Bird Boy. And dead pigeons were tossed onto Lowe's family porch. Dude, that's fucked up. Dude. Had Ruth not come outside at the very moment, she was sure the bird would have carried her son away. But there have been some shred of truth to the Lowe's story. And that's where it gets complex. I think you mean complicated, dude? Okay. Legends about Illinois about mysterious giant birds dating all the way back to the Kaokia tribe, an advanced and largely urbanized chiefdom on the banks of the Mississippi River that peered out around the 13th century. The cosmology of the Kaokia tribe is filled with fantastic creatures, modus of serpents, dragons, and monstrous birds dot the cliffs around the former Kaokia heartland, serving as a religious purpose and also warned strangers and potential foes that they were entering Kaokia uh, territory. The most famous of all these cliff drawings is what's known as the Piazza Bird, a massive drawing etched into the limestone cliff outside of Alton, Illinois. First described in 1673 by the Jesuit missionary Jacques Marquette as he was exploring the area, the image Clearly shocked Marquette and his party to the core as he wrote in his journal. We saw upon one of them two painted monsters, which at first made us afraid, and upon which the boldest savages dare not long rest their eyes. They had are they are as large as a calf. They have horns on their heads like those of a deer, a horrible look, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's. A face somewhat like a man's, a body covered with scales, and so long a tail that it winds all around the body, passing above the head 
and going back between the legs, ending in a fish's tail. The origins, the original depictions of the bird were described as some sort of hybrid reptilian bird, though in later descriptions, the creature became more bird-like. The Kaoki tribe calls this bir these birds thunderbirds for the sound they make when they flap their giant wings. Considered to be highly intelligent, these creatures alternate between preying on and assisting the tribe whenever they please. The Thunderbirds figures probably in legends of other plains tribes as well, including Lakota, who believes that the birds embodied the supreme beam that created all living things on Earth. By the 19th century, the original drawings had been completely destroyed by weather and vandalism, though it had been consistently redrawn and carefully maintained since then based on sketches of the original drawing. In the 1940s, there was a rash of sightings of massive birds in and around Alton. Not too far from the Piazza drawing, on April 4, 1948, an army colonel named Walter F. Sigmund saw an astonishing sight as he was conversing with a local farmer. I thought there was something wrong with my eyesight, but it was most definitely a bird, not a glider or a jet plane. It appeared to be flying northeast, and from the movements of the object and its size, I figured it had to be a bird of tremendous size. Just a few days later, on April 10th, there was another sighting in the skies above Alton, albeit a brief one. On April 24th, the birds were back, this time many people saw them. Flight instructors at the local airports said the largest of the birds cast a shadow, as big as a piper's club from 500 feet up. Other eyewitnesses maintained that the birds were as large uh, were large as small airplanes and far from far more humongous than any eagle they had ever seen. As sudden as they appeared, the birds were gone, never to return that is until 1977. Incredible sightings of the massive bird of the massive thunderbirds have been few and far between since the notorious Lonsdale incident. Instead of profiting, the Lowe's family was ostracized in the community, pointing to the fact that it probably wasn't a, wasn't a planned hoax. There are many explanations. Mother Ruth and son Marlon could have simply panicked. Memory is unreliable and often prone to embellishment. Illinois is home to a significant population of turkey vultures, large carrion birds that could have pegged Marlon as an easy meal, though vultures usually don't hunt live prey. A long-tailed bird could technically have been an errant condor. These giant birds have wingspans in excess of 10 feet though the species is endangered and endemic to the west coast. Possibilities for explanation are, like most cryptids, endless. But one thing is for certain, for better or worse, ferocious monsters of the unknown have captured people's imaginations throughout history. There's something marvelous about the notion that a giant man-eating bird of native lore could still be prowling the skies of the Midwest. For all our scientific investment and effort to catalog, analyze, and understand the entire world around us, mysteries still do exist. It is history.
We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why reluctantly codependent sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. We got ants. Uh, the abominable swamp slobs. Uh, it's by Jerome Clark and Lauren Coleman. 1974, Fate Magazine. Numerous residents throughout the states have been reporting seeing and smelling these ape like intruders. Illinois harbors some strange inhabitants, not mentioned in tourist guides. In fact, the vast majority of the states sinistry do not even recognize their existence. About the only one who do not, who do, who do are the handful who have seen them, and even these persons have a hard time talking about them. For one thing, they don't even have a name. Researcher John Keel, who had studied their appearance, appearances and habits for over the years, calls them abominable swamp slobs, but the moniker hasn't caught on. Call them what you will, they're unwelcome. Any creature animal or human that prowls around scaring people and on top of that smells bad isn't likely to be loved. They are so far beyond our understanding that it's no wonder stories about them excite incredulity. But the frequent reports of their appearance in the wooded and watery areas of Illinois and other places coupled with obvious Sincerity of those who say they have encountered them could convince that something awfully strange is going on in the backwaters of America. In the summer of 1973, Mercerboro in southwestern Illinois was seeing a bizarre series of events involving a creature which appeared suddenly and disappeared just as suddenly two weeks later, leaving in its wake a number of baffled, frightened individuals who will probably never again feel completely at ease in the woods around their hometown. This creature was first seen shortly after midnight on June 25, 1973. Randy Neiman and Judy Johnson were parking on a boat ramp to the Big Muddy River near Murfreesboro when a cry about three times as loud as a bobcat, only deeper, sounded in the nearby woods. The two looked up to see a huge by Piped lumbering towards them, still shrieking but now in altering tones. It was not a human sound. Randy and Judy agreed that the thing was about seven feet tall, white, and short body hair matted with river mud. They were not interested in examining it at close range, and by the time it got within 20 feet of them, they were roaring away from the scene, bound, by, bound for the Merceboro police station. Officers Merrill Lindsay and Jimmy Nash checked the area and found impressions in the mud approximately 10-12 inches long approximately 3 inches wide. According to the reports, they filed later to a fate reporter. 
Neiman later described their persons as something like a man with a shoe on when we make. He suggested that the toe prints may not have been registered in the mud. On 2 a.m., Nash, Lindsay, Neiman, and Deputy Sheriff Bob Scott returned to the scene. This time discovered fresh tracks, similar in general appearance to those they had seen an hour earlier, but deeper and smaller. The police report reads, The prints in the mud were very erratic, in that the t- no two were the same distance apart, and some were five or f- six feet apart. Also, prints were found very close together. Officer Lindsay left to get a camera to take pictures of the prints, and while he was gone, the, th- the others three followed the tracks. While they were bending over to examine some of them, there came the most incredible shriek I've ever heard, Nash recalled. Apparently, the creature was hidden in trees less than 100 yards away. A trio didn't stick around to find out. They beat a hasty retreat for the squad car. In the hours that followed, officers did scour the area in pursuit of an elusive splashing sound, but found nothing. When daylight came, things quieted down, but with the darkness, the creature returned. The first to see it this time was four-year-old Christian Barrow, who told his parents he had not seen he had seen a big white ghost in the yard. They didn't believe him, but ten minutes later, when Randy Creeth and Cheryl Ray saw something very much like that in a neighboring yard, parents and police reconsidered the youngest youngster's words. About 10.30 p.m., Randy and Cheryl were sitting in the backyard of Ray home when they heard something moving in the trees along the river just beyond the lawn. They saw the creature standing in an opening, an opening in the trees, quietly watching him through glowing pink eyes. Cheryl insists that the eyes were glowing, not reflecting. There was no light source nearby. The creature, the creature was either the same one or the young couple had seen the night before or one similar to it. It was white and dirty, weighed close to 350 pounds, and stood 7 feet tall. It had a large round head. Cheryl thought its arms might be ape length, though she wasn't certain because it was standing in a waist-high grass. Finally, the thing ambled off through the trees, making cerebral noises, making cerebral... Okay. Uh, later, investigators found a trail of crushed weeds and broken brush, all imprints in the ground, too vague and imperfect to be cast in plaster. Cheryl's mother, Mr. Mrs. Henry Ray, called the police while waiting for them to arrive. They suddenly began smell a real strong odor, like a sewer. Cheryl said that but the odor lasted only a short time. Soon officers, Nash and Ronald Menmoren, pulled up in their car. What happened then is recounted in the report. Officers inspected the area where the creature was seen and found weeds broken down and somewhat of a path where something had walked through. Jerry Niels was notified to bring his dog to the area to see if the dog would track the creature. Upon arrival of Nellis and his dog, a German Shepherd trained to attack search buildings and track, the dog was led to the area where the creature was last seen. The dog began tracking down the hills 
where the creature was reported to have gone. As the dog started down the hill, it kept stopping and sniffing at a slime substance on the weeds. Slime appeared periodically as the dog tracked the creature. Nils put some of the slime between his fingers and rubbed it and it left a black coloring on his finger. Each time the dog found a mouse of it, the dog would hesitate. The creature was tracked down to the hills to a pond. Around the pond to a wooded area south of the pond where the dog attempted to put Nils down a steep embankment. The area where the dog tracked the creature to was too thick and bushy to walk through. So the dog was pulled off the trail and returned to the car. Officers then searched the area with flashlights. Officers Nash, Nellis, and the dog then proceeded to the area directly south of where the dog was pulled off the tracks. The area was at the end of the first road to the west, past Westwood Hills turnoff. The area is approximately one half mile south of the area of the pond behind 37 Westwood Lane. Nellis and the dog again began to search the area to see if the dog could again pick up the scent. Nellis and the dog approached the abandoned barn and Nellis called Officer Nash to come to the area as the dog would not enter the barn. Nellis pushed the dog inside and the dog immediately ran out. Nash and Nellis searched the barn and found nothing inside. Nellis said the dog was trained to search buildings and never backed down from anything. Nellis could offer no explanation as to why the dog became scared and would not go inside the barn. Officers continued to search the area and were unable to locate the creature. The Murfreesboro creature was reported two more times during the even July 4th celebration in the city park near the river. Carnival workers said they had seen it watching Shetland ponies and on July 7th Mrs. Nedra Green heard a shrill piercing scream from near shed of her isolated farm. She did not go out to investigate, so what was this Murphy Burroughs creature? The authorities admit they don't know. A lot of things in life are unexplained, Police Chief Toby Burper says. And this is another one. We don't know what the creature is, but we do believe what the people saw was real. These are good, honest people. They are seeing something. And who would walk through sewage tanks for a joke? Unfortunately, not all law enforcement officers share Chief Berger's enlightened attitude. Earlier in the year, Sheriff Roy Pushar Jr. of White County in southeastern Illinois threatened to arrest a man who reported such a creature from but the witnesses. But the witness Henry McDaniel of Enfield sticks to his story. If remember, this is from the, the Enfield Horror. He says that late. Even April 15th, 1973, he heard something scratching on his door. Upon opening the door, he did a double take, for something looked as it had stepped out of a nightmare. He had three legs on it, he said. A short body, two little short arms coming out of its breast area, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half feet to five feet tall and was grayish colored. It was trying to get into the house, but Daniel, and no more to entertain the visitor grabbed a pistol and opened fire. When I fired the first shot, he said, I know I hit it. The creature hissed like a wild cat and bounded away, covering 75 feet in three jumps and disappeared into the brush along a railroad embankment that runs near the McDaniel home. State police summoned to McDaniel's home 
Soon afterward, found tracks like a dog's, except they had six toe pads. But Daniels told Fate that two of the prints measured four inches around, while the others measured three and one quarter inches. Investigators subsequently discovered the 10 year old Greg Garrett, who lives just behind Daniel, had been playing in his backyard half an hour before when a creature approached him and stepped on his feet, tearing his tennis shoes to shreds. The boy had run inside crying hysterically. On May 6, at 3 a.m., Daniels was awakened by the howling of neighboring dogs. Looking out his front door, he saw the monster again. I seen something moving out on the railroad track, and there it stood, he told a reporter. I didn't shoot at it or not anything. It started, it started on down the railroad track. It was a heroin threat. Uh, for two one of the explanations offered for his science, Daniel told us, I've been all around the world. I've been through Africa, and I've had a pet kangaroo. This was not a kangaroo. I've never seen this type of creature on or tracks before. The publicity McDaniel's report received through hordes across the seekers, newsmen, and serious researchers up to Enfield. Among them were five young men who Deputy Sheriff Jim Clark arrested for hunting violations after they had seen and shot a gray, hairy creature in some underbrush. Two of the men thought they had hit it, but the thing had sped off, running faster than a man. This incident is supposed to have occurred on May 8th. Another witness is Rick Rainbow. Okay. This is a film again. Investigators Lauren Coleman and Richard Crowell did not see the creature, but they did hear a highly pitched screech while they were searching the area around McDaniel's home. About a month later in in Edwardsville, Illinois, police received and checked these reports of a musty smelling red-eyed human-sized being said to be lurking in the woods on the eastern edge of the town. The creature probably was more than five and a half feet tall and broad-shouldered, with eyes that apparently were sensitive to light. It made no sound when it walked. Witnesses said that the thing chased them. A woman told the police the creature ripped his shirt and clawed his chest. In many ways, these events of 1973 were replaced similar events from the summer before. The Imperial Journal Star July 26, 1972, printed claims of Randy Emmert, age 18, probably, who reportedly uh, saw an unusual creature on two occasions in the preceding two months. Emmert said it, it was bipedal, hairy, and between 8 and 12 feet tall. It was kind of white and moves quick. It roars with it in rancid order and seemed to scare the animals in the woods near Cole Howells Road, Emmert said. It lets out a uh, Lawn screeched like an old steam engine whistle, only more human. Emmer asserted that a number of his friends had not had seen either the creature or its footprints. I'm kind of a spokesman for the group, he said. The only one who has the guts, I guess. Mrs. Ann Camemer, a priori, corroborated Emmer's story. Corroborated uh, Emmer's story, saying that they 
All of her children's friends of Emmert had seen the thing. It sounded it sounds kind of weird, she admitted. At first, I didn't believe it, but then my daughter-in-law saw it. According to Emmert, an old van house in the nearby woods had large footprints all around it and a hole dug under the basement. The Brewery uh, Journal Star for July, 19, 20, July 27th, 1972 announced that two days previously, Creve Core authorities said a witness reported seeing something big swimming in the Illinois River. Uh, on the night of the 27th, two reliable citizens told police they had seen a 10-foot-tall figure that looked like a cross between an ape and a caveman. A United States international account described it as having a face with a long gray U-shaped ears, a red mouth with sharp teeth, and thumbs with long second joints. One witness said it smelled like a musky wet down dog. The East Prairie Police Department reported receiving more than 200 calls about the monster. Leroy Summers of Cowery saw a 10 foot tall white hairy creature standing erect near the Ohio River less uh, levied during the evening hours July 25th, 1972. When the Cowery police came to investigate, they found nothing and police commissioner James Dale warned that henceforth anyone who made a monster report would have his breath tested for alcohol content. The rash of sightings in 1973, however, continued on into the fall. A night of October 16th, four St. Joseph's youths, Bill Duncan, Bob Summers, Daryl Mowry, and Craig Lincoln encountered a hairy, gorilla-like creature on a road south of town. They had stopped the car to investigate when they thought it was a campfire near the bridge of Salt Fork. One of them lit up match, and they all saw the creature standing 5 feet tall, about 15 feet away, they did not linger. Duncan told the uh, Champagne-Urbana Courier, I wondered if, it, if I was going nuts or something. I thought it was a bear at first, but I really couldn't say. This account raises two very obvious questions. What was the nature of the mysterious light that the boys took to be a campfire? And how could a match struck in an outdoor setting generate enough light to reel a presumably dark object 15 feet away. Unfortunately, we have no answers because our efforts to contact the eyewitnesses have been unsuccessful. Is it worth noting, however, that in recent years, there has been a series of sightings of grills in the area. In 1970, for example, witnesses reported such creatures at rental farm city Hay uh, Hayworth, Weldon, and Decatur. All the places within 50 miles of St. Joseph, and nearly every case, the creature was seen in the woods near a river or a creek. In one instance, a observer spotted it standing near a bridge on Salt Creek. As fantastic as these stories seem, they do not form. They do form a certain pattern. Some features cons consistently appear. To start with, the Illinois incidents are clearly related to a growing body of reports that come primarily from the South Central United States. Indiana, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Although parallel tales have been recorded from time to time as far south as Florida and as far north as Pennsylvania. The creature reported uh, are almost always bipedal, hairy, and sub in general appearance. 
The color is variously described as white, gray, or dark brown. Their eyes are usually pink or red and glow to in the dark. The creature emits an extremely unpleasant odor, often compared to the smell of garbage or sewage. They run fast and leap enormous dis distance, even from a sitting position, according to, some, to one report. Estimates of height range from 4.5 to 12 feet. The creature is nocturnal in its habits and lives in wooded areas bordering streams. It makes an ear-splitting, nerve-shattering shriek. It apparently is not afraid of human beings and has been to chase and attack. Has been known to chase and attack. Solemn is it seen in the company of another of its kind. The one inconsistent concerns its tracks. They come in all sizes. Some have four toe prints, others have five or six. All primary all primary hominids are five toed. A weird inconsistency reports hints that on occasion our abominable swamp slobs are not quite real, for at times they walk through underbrush while breaking twigs or branches, leaving tracks or making noise. On other occasions, as, as we have seen, they are noisy and destructive. Another disturbing feature is that the creature occasionally appears in the company of the other of, of the other uninvited visitor, the UFO. So far as we know, no one actually has seen such a creature enter or emerge from a flying saucer, but some kind of relationship is implied when strange flying objects are seen landing in the air when a creature has been sighted. So it goes without a bomb of swamp slobs. What they really are aren't in anyone's guess. As Chief Burger said, a lot of things in life are unexplained. Now we'll have to leave it at that. Why do get this long Coleman over here? We got nares. Uh, this article. Eyewitnesses swear there are Black Panthers in Illinois. Are they really? By Heidi White Whitecart, June 13th, 2018. Uh, are, there black, are there Black Panthers or Cougars in Illinois? Seems like every year someone sees one and it's in the news. Uh, big cats have shown up in the news for decades with the latest cougar science happening near St. Jacob's in May of last year. The State's Journal Register reported cougar science north of here in 2012. In the late 90s, the Bayville News Democrat reported a pure Black Panther wandering in the woods near Hint. Edwardsville and north of Troy. In November 2012, the Finding Bigfoot television crew had finished filming a show near Prairie Marquis State Park and was heading back to the hotel for the night when multiple members of the group saw a Black Panther along the side of the road. In the 1980s, a Black Panther was haunting East Cardinalent, eating stray dogs and remaining one step ahead of big game hunters. It was also spotted near Columbia, Millstadt, and Mayas Town. St. Clair County Animal Control uses a helicopter in a futile effort to track it. The big cat disappeared, leaving behind only paw prints. 
dozens of eyewitnesses have reported seeing big black cats or melanistic cougars, but the Illinois Department of Natural Resources says that the creatures don't exist here. However, they say cougars of normal color variety could be passing through on their way somewhere else. Yellow cougars have been spotted in Missouri in recent years and have been hit and killed on highways. See any confirmed big kid signings near you, check out the Cougars Network digital map. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to researching cougars and other wildcats in North America. The Department of Natural Resources works with the group, but it's not affiliated. The panther or cougar has many names listed in dictionaries. Most other animal in the world. Some of the names for the large cat as are mountain lion, puma, uh, painter, leon, panther, and catamont. The circulated panther could be found from the Atlantic to the Pacific coast. Despite the many names, a panther is not, it's not the same animal as a bobcat, ocelot, leopard, jaguar, lynx, or cheetah, which are different species. Uh, Doug Dufford is a wildlife disease and invasive species program manager who ha also handles the coordination of large carnivore sightings and response. This includes signs of cougars, black here, bears, black bears, and gray wolves. He has worked for the Illinois Department of Natural Resources since 1986. When his report, Black Panther signs often Dufford said, There's a phenomenon there. Remember, the number of people reporting signing these signings will say at least one in three would say it's a black panther. As far as experts are concerned, black cougars or molestic mountain lions don't exist because there's never been a picture taken or carcass found. Melanism, opposite of albinism, is when there's an excess retardment in the skin. When someone calls and reports seeing a black panther, and someone in my position has to wonder what they saw, said Duffert. There are large like cat-like animals that are black. One is the jaguar that lives in Central and South America. Other species species live in Asia, Duffert said. In theory, a person could see a large black cat and could have escaped the animal or a domestic creature. Sometimes people have animals they shouldn't have. Herb Simmons was a mayor when East Carnaland experienced a rash of Black Panther sightings in 1986 and 1987. He had served as mayor for, four, for 34 years. How long ways for serving mayor? A little sketchy. A little sketchy is a long time. Uh, Simmons said, Your reports of it. People were complaining dogs and chickens were coming up missing. One resident claimed that when she went to her kitchen coop, he saw it running across the field. Uh, it, is, it just escalated from there. Trappers from the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. St. Clair County Animal Troll and Big Game Hunter owner of Safari Coffee, Dana Brown, searched the woods around East Carnaland for the cat. Authorities 
utilize a helicopter from the Illinois Department of Transportation to easily traverse the bottomlands after an animal patrol officer fell in waist-dip quicksand during the search for the animal. Crawled safety. In the course of East Carlin's investigation, Simmons said he believed that Black Panther was the same one that had been ta- taken from the St. Louis Zoo some years earlier. In, the 18, in 1987, the B&D a man named Milton Covion spent time in jail for the death of a black leopard from the St. Louis Children's Zoo in 1981. A leopard named Samantha was never recovered by authorities because Covion would not disclose where she was. He took the secret to the grave when he died in a car accident prior to the big cat, big cat sightings in East Cardinaland. The theory was somehow, the uh, theory was someone had it and kept it in captivity and turned it loose, Simmons said, but I don't think anyone knew for sure. They get reports in Columbia and Maystown, but IDNR said it can cover 100 square miles in no time, Simmons said. At the time, hunters believed that they found the cat's lair in a rock quarry outside East Cornerland, but they never trapped it. Some said traps set out for over a month. For hundreds of years, humanity believed black swans didn't exist. Then then in 1697, a Dutch explorer discovered black swans in Western Australia. Theorists now use the black swan as an example of the discovery of what they may be considered impossible and the world-changing nature of unpredictable events. In answer to the question of black panthers being the next black swan, Dufford of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources said, If they were there, somebody in North America would have found one. It would have, been, it would have turned, turned up. We would have found a picture. He said people have been act- actively looking for melanistic cougars since the early 1800s. If Black Panther were to, to be discovered today, it would be like a Sasquatch-scale discovery in the ecological world, Duffer said. But it hasn't. Clark Barackman, a Bigfoot researcher, is one of the stars of the television program Finding Bigfoot. Since it started airing in 2011, the final episode was originally shown on Animal Planet. After filming one of the episodes of the show in 2012, around Illinois Piedmont State Park, Brackman and the crew saw a black panther on the side of the road. Brackman said, "It was late. It was a late night. I remember Matt Moneymaker was driving. I was in the passenger seat. Bobo and Nay were in the back. I saw on the right what looked at first like a dark gray German Shepherd trotting perpendicular towards the road." Brackman said, "As the door drove, the cars drove by." It turned right and went parallel with the road. It was not a German Shepherd, definitely, he said. It was, it was moving in a more graceful manner, more so than a dog. It was definitely a big black cat. You could see the mountain lines marking underneath this particular one. So that was black or gray, but when I got closer, it was dark charcoal color, uh, Barackman said. Two of the ears were more black, had a long tail behind it, in a mountain-like fashion, um, mountain-lion-like fashion. Uh, at the end of the trail was another black tip. Throughout the, his Bigfoot investigations, Brackman said people across the country had told him they had not seen they had not seen Bigfoot, but they had seen black panthers. The part 
the number of reports had led him to believe TMLs may have sociologically related. Brackman believes it may share the same habitat, be, be nocturnal and shy of human contact. This is another species local wildlife authorities refuse to say exists, Brackman said. I, there are no good pictures, confirmed hoaxes, and no one has killed one and brought it in, showed experts. Things like Bigfoot, more concrete evidence is needed to prove the existence of Black Panthers. Science doesn't deal with subjective evidence. They need objective evidence, Bartman said. People are terrible observers. Even my sighting, I had three to six second sighting. I remember trying to figure out what it was I was looking at, Bartman said. There aren't observations of scientific merit. I know what I saw, like Bigfoot witnesses. Not doubting what I saw when I saw it, but it was past before I realized what it was. He believes government officials don't entertain the idea that these animals may be real, like Bigfoot, because it's a money thing. Bartman said, the cuts to the Department of Agriculture, they're shutting down roads, there's climate change, firefighting, and laying people off. They don't want to spend their resources over an animal that is so rare it doesn't matter to them. If any animal, if any animal is found, you have to do an ecological study to figure out which commercial activities affected, Brackman said. He mentioned a rare spotted owl in the state of Washington and some logging operations that had to be shut down to protect it. Some communities have not recovered from that. Imagine what would happen if they discovered a Sasquatch, he said, or another large mammal, like a, back, like a black panther. Dufford of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources believes there are layers to the eyewitness sightings of black panthers. I can see how people can be fused. Certainly, the mind seems to play tricks on folks, Duffers said. There seems to be an aura around the Black Panther. He said, Most of the time, when we confirm what they see is a domestic cat that is unusually large. I try to figure out what people are seeing, too. I don't believe people are making this stuff up, Duffers said. I don't think people, they're pulling my leg or crazy or whatever. But people can be misled, confused, or see one thing and think they see something else. A black color is a mystery, or there's a phenomenon we can't explain based on any scientific evidence. Duffert said, certainly a large cat-like animal, in this case the cougar, is a possibility, and one we recognize. In Illinois, since 2000, the Department of Natural Resources has confirmed the existence of in the states of six or more really colored cougars through carcasses. Other instances, there have been trail camera pictures of the animal. Whenever we've been able to confirm, whenever we've been able to confirm, they show up in clusters, Duffer says. If you confirm a cat or cougar on one trail camera, there's a high probability you're going to get another one. Duffer blue Duffer believes that these animals are usually young males on hunt for a new territory or on their way to somewhere else. Some people will tell you the Department of Natural Resources have been releasing cougars for decades, Duffer said. Unquickly, I can say that DNR has not released gray wolves, black bears, or cougars. There are no introduction programs and no plans to do so in the future. Interesting.
my cat's in here, apparently. Uh, Cole Hollow Road Monster by Adam Benedict, April 18, 2018. In early May of 1972, Randy Emmert, uh, oh, sounds like Randy Emmert, 18 years old, and some friends reported seeing a very large white haired creature in the vicinity of Cole Hollow Road in Pickens, Illinois. They say that the creature made loud, almost screeching like noises, sounds. And that it believed it was living underneath an abandoned house. Days later, on May 25th, the East Prairie Police Justice logged police logged more than 200 calls from witnesses who sighted the monster. Calls ranged from seeing the monster walking through the woods to yards or along river banks to report of the monster destroying a caller's fence. The police were naturally skeptical of all the calls, but kept track of them nonetheless. Two months later. During July 1972, a local search party was formed and more than 100 people took to the woods surrounding Cole Hollow Road to search for the monster. The search party had to be disbanded by the police a few hours later after a volunteer accidentally shot himself in the foot. Ah, ha, ha. Sorry about your foot, man. It sucks. The monster was not located but did it start being referred to by his name, Kohomo. Uh, called Hollow Monster. Monster Locals. Uh, on July 25th, a witness contacted the police to report that they had seen a large, hairy man-like creature swimming in the Illinois River. On July 28th, a local woman reported seeing the monster near an abandoned coal mine while she was out gathering berries. The creature scared her so much that she had ran off, leaving her possessions behind. That same night, the police received a report from two reliable witnesses who stated that they saw the creature well enough to give a description. The Cole Hollow Monster, or Kamal, is described as being around 8 to 9 feet tall, covered in whitish gray hair, long round ears, red lips, human-like hands, meaning thumbs were dull-jointed and sit further down the rest of the fingers. It appeared to resemble a cross between an ape and a caveman. Gave off a putrid smell that was described as that of a wet dog mixed with rotten eggs. The creature left behind large tracks that appeared to only show three toes. The monster craze slowly fizzles out in the years to follow due to the lack of capture. Many believe a Bigfoot was being sighted by the locals and because it naturally kept moving and eventually moved out of the region, the signs of Como stopped. But Bigfoot appears to have not fully lost interest in the area. Sporadic signs are still born to this day. The pines barren as soon. Uh, the Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain uh, Habitat Galen, Galena area about 70 miles from Dubuque, Iowa. Not to be confused with Dogman of McHenry or the many dog people reported through Michigan since the 19th century. I don't believe this is a traditional medieval werewolf, said Godfrey, whose book American Monsters recounts a harrowing 2010 encounter between the Illinois behavioral psychologist and the beast. I prefer unknown upright canine. As a reporter in Wisconsin in the 1980s, Godfrey heard stories about a wolfman consistent with 2010 tale. The woman 
is driving with her fiance. The woman is driving with her fiance near Chestnut Mountain. There on the back road, they see a wolf walking on hind legs. I looked at them for a moment, then leaps off at a great speed. I think there are more signs like that. People don't want to be ridiculed. Some are, are in denial. They don't want to admit what they saw. What they see. Oh, sad boys. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay. All right, that's it. That's that's it for this episode. So I'll tell you where you can listen, where you can find this episode, where you can listen to it, and it's all shit. Uh, hey, hey, listener, you, yes, you. Uh, I guess you're wondering where you can listen to this episode and past episodes, future episodes. Of the Muscle Lunch Podcast, you may do so at Auto, at Anchor, Apple Podcast, Overcast, Radio Public, Google Google Podcast, Spotify, and Breaker. And I don't know if you can find it anywhere else. So it's all no. Maybe it's somewhere else, and I just haven't found it yet. Uh, anyway, you can also join the Facebook group at Muscle Lunch Podcast on Facebook. And to to accept it. Just gotta tell me what's your favorite monster. So, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you or have a story of your, you'd like me to say or mention or read or whatever, uh, send me an email at monsters dungeon podcast at gmail.com. Is that right? I'll be dub monster. Uh, let me check that. Let me check that work. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Much of this podcast at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email if you got story or no. Yeah. You know of and everything. Or you want to be a guest. Looking forward to seeing some guests on the show on future episodes. Oh. Uh, I'm gonna end this. Hope you have a great week, and I hope you stay legendary. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.